All Stars MMA podcast is back. Right, so we just need to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. As always, we're recording out of Get Your Media Studios in Leeds. And a big shout out to our new sponsor at Muscle Medicine. Uh, Muscle Medicine, they provide advanced treatments in sports and manual therapy, uh, which includes injury management, rehab, muscular imbalance, dealing with persistent niggles and eliminating knots and sore muscles. Also, they offer trigger point therapy and posture realignment. For those that are training out there, you know how important it is to look after your body. um, And we, we do highly recommend Muscle Medicine. Muscle Medicine help the team a lot down at the AVT and they come highly recommended. Uh, they also offer acupuncture and cupping. So check them out on social media and on their website. Right, and let's crack on with the podcast. Right then, I guess. I guess we better start there. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to the uh, All Stars MMA podcast. Um, today... Danny, I'm going to let you do the introductions because all I know is we're sitting in front of a man with a famous thumb. Yes. <laughs> That's literally all I know. Okay, yeah, today we've got, uh, he's a professional MMA fighter, a professional idiot, he's the AVT Idiot of the Year. He's got the the Lifetime Achievement Award for that because he, he would just get voted it every year. Yeah. Mr. Honor Kagler, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thousands wouldn't have you. Um, so yeah, on on a trains with me. Um, you know, he's been fighting fighting amateur MMA, um, now fighting pro MMA, and uh, yeah, like you say, fame, famous thumb from his <laughs> from his YouTube channel, um, which we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but uh, I first, thought it was something to do with gym and showers having a famous <laughs> thumb. That's <laughs> another story. That's another story. But yeah. Um, so let's let's get started. Let's talk about um, let's talk about MMA. Like, how did you first come across MMA? Like, what what got you into the gym to do MMA? Um, I vaguely remember being younger and my stepdad getting UFC videos and watching them. But then, obviously, for a while, I laid dormant, and then uh, I was in the army in Blackpool, and then went to the Sukata gym with a load of lads, and sort of followed it on from there. And then, obviously, when I left the army, moved back to Scarborough, found your gym. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't actually find my gym straight away, did you? Did you, you, you train at some other? You, you were training at Sukata in, in Blackpool. Yeah, um, do, doing. Jiu Jitsu and MMA there, yeah. right? And then, uh, so how, how long ago was that? Like, probably maybe eight, nine years ago now, I think yeah. I started. Um, yeah, I, w- I went around a few gyms, you know, because I trained at like a decent gym like Sukata. When I go to other gyms and I seen how bad they were, I was like, this isn't the same. <laughs> so then I needed to find a better gym to sort of improve myself, really. Yeah, yeah, I think when I first. <coughs> When I first met you, I'd seen you fighting on some shows because you were already fighting amateur MMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I saw you, I believe, on on the sh- the York show. I saw you fighting on that cage yeah. confrontation. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'd also seen you fight on the um, that Leeds one. Yeah, A O N or whatever. Yeah, it was called, that's it, or nothing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so we so I kind of knew you, and then I, I believe we, you trained in a session. I did a session at York, and you trained in that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, actually. Um, Multi-masters. Multi-masters, yeah. Gaz yeah. Watkinson over in York when he used to run some MMA stuff there. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the, the background of where you sort of fell into doing MMA. But um, So now, 
Obviously, you train at AVT. You've been training. How long you been at AVT? I can't fucking remember. I think it's maybe five, six years. I only know because I started training before I met my missus. And I've been with her for five years. <laughs> so it's definitely before that. <laughs> so do you still live in Scarborough now then? Yeah, it? I live in Scarborough now, yeah. And do you yeah. train at ABT Scunthorpe then? Not no, no, uh, he, he, he comes to Leeds, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Fucking so. awesome. Scunthorpe's <laughs> even further, right? If you were going to go to Scunthorpe. It? Yeah. Oh, sorry, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. Bad geography, that. <laughs> sorry. It's still a long way to come though, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. Well, you got to train with the best. That's a great advert. But yeah, I mean, there's people like Honor, uh, you've got people like Jack Grant coming from Grimsby, you know, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. of people travel. And uh, yeah, it, it's like you say, you, you want good training, you want good partners, good coaching, you've got you've to travel around. Everybody wants it on the doorstep, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's not always there. Um, in, in Scarborough, now you've got um, uh, one of my one of my students, Andy, he's got like a jujitsu club yeah, there. Yeah. So that seems to be going pretty well. Yeah, it's getting. Busier and busier. Yeah, but but I think in Scarborough there's not that, there's not that much, right? Would I be right in saying there's not sort of like the dead end of the world? Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. <there's laughs> if no... it was flat Earth, you'd fall off after Scarborough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's no there's like there's some like boxing clubs and that, right? Or... Yeah, yeah. I've got like the the boxing clubs aren't as good as it used to be, but yeah, there is boxing. I've got like a decent boxing coach there, so yeah. And uh, there's, there's a Thai boxing club right yeah. as well. Yeah, CrossFit. You know, you, you know, cross, I do one or two CrossFit sessions. CrossFit wanker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you said scam. I knew that there were CrossFit boxes scam. Yeah. I, I yes. didn't actually know that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Scarborough, what a place. What a place to live. I can't imagine. You think Scarborough, you just think about like putting two pences in slot machines. Yeah. Right? But that's, that's his life. That's our local currency. Yeah. I, I don't carry notes. I just carry two P's. <laughs> Everyone's paid in two P's. Like, what's it like just living in Scarborough? Like, do you know what, like when I when I lived away when I was in the army, I missed it, but now I'm there. I absolutely hate it. It's horrible. He's just full of smackheads. <laughs> Did you say that you were um you were in army and then you ended up in ba- in Blackpool as well? Were you based in Blackpool? Yeah, yeah. When I joined that's the army, rough, that's a rough gig, that isn't it. I was yeah. Fuck me, I feel like Blackpool's worse than Scarborough. Though. Yeah, Blackpool's like, a shit up. My mum lives there now, and I hate going. I spent there. three years in Fleetwood. Like it's a fucking dive. Right. Well, oh. the, the camps the camps in Fleetwood. I think I'm sure it's in Fleetwood. Or near Fleetwood, you've got to go through Fleetwood to get to right. it. Right. Don't know. It's the worst place in the world. Yeah, I, I've only been to Blackpool on stag do's. So, yeah. Even that's they, they dying were, off. They were really bad. Yeah. They were really bad. I think, like, people nearly died and stuff. <laughs> I remember I remember one of them, we just bailed, like, middle at night. I'm like, I said to my mate, oh, should we just get out of here? Because someone's going to get arrested. He's like, yeah, yeah, we need to leave. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, I took my missus there once because obviously we went to my mum's and then... She was like, oh, we'll go shopping. We went in the centre and she was like, oh, where's all the shops? I was like, that's it. It's so small. I don't know why people go there. It's horrendous. Yeah, there's a fucking TK Maxx, a KFC, a Mackey's, and then slot machines. Yeah, that's and it. And a bunch of smackheads. That's it. Like, that's Blackpool. There's loads of people from Blackpool just unfollowing us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm not sorry. Come to Yorkshire. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Scarborough, really good place. If you're living in Blackpool now and you want to like expand, you know, you want to see the world, come to Scarborough. <laughs> Yeah, it's Yorkshire, so it's exactly. Yeah, of Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> so did you did you, uh, did you start your fighting in the army? Then were you doing boxing? Because I know boxing's quite big in in. Uh... I did um, regimental boxing when I was in the army. I, I I can't even pick how many fights I had now. I don't have it written down. So I've been punched quite a lot. So yeah. that's his fucking excuse as well. 
It's, oh. a, it's a great experience. <laughs> I can't remember that. I've been punched in the head and I fell off a bike in Thailand. <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> Yeah, so you, so you had so so you was so you boxed in the army, right? That's, yeah, yeah, I did you? Yeah. yeah, so that's all you know a bit a good bit of experience first. So so like like Josh was saying, you was in the army and training at Sukata then. While yeah, it's all like towards the end of my army career. Yeah, I started yeah. training at Sukata. Like I boxed, I think I boxed um, two or three years before I started the MMA. So I, I actually originally went to Sukata. I just wanted to grapple. But then I did comps and realised that people were getting paid to do MMA and comps you had to pay to do them. So I just did that instead. Yeah. <laughs> so how old were you when you started uh, MMA then? Like when... This is a tough question. Yeah. I don't even know. No? I'd have to work it out. <laughs> it was about eight, eight or nine years ago. And how old are you now? 34. So is that quite late to get into gaming? Like 26 to start 20, 25, 26 yeah i mean i mean now i'm 26 and like i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't even like to think about starting fighting now. yeah but i spoke I, to tom 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 um crosby he yeah. started late didn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh but I, th I think now in these modern times you need to start younger yeah like if you want to do something good i think you know back in the day you had people like randy couture were champion like i think he was like what were we, 46 something like that when he was yeah. when he was champion whereas in you know modern times now you've got people like john jones 21 is yeah, a yeah. champion and so so t times have changed you know that the average champion is younger now and it's only gonna you know get younger because yeah. people are just getting better at an earlier age yeah i mean that was quite evident at that fight night that risk fight night like the young lads that were in there stepping in him that nearly killed hodor damn he's <laughs> <laughs> about 12 years old and he had kicked yeah, that fucker into <laughs> another world did he I know, that, that was bad. That was really bad. I was like, oh no. You yeah, but the no. proper young out there. Yeah, yeah. And that guy was a man. He was fighting a man and he yeah. knocked him clean out. And, well, that's that's and, what I thought. Like. And it's like Louis, I remember I remember watching Louis when he was 16, I think, and he fought for, I think he was fighting for like a British title in, in uh, Thai boxing. And so we had to lie. We, I think it was an adult's <laughs> title. So we lied. We said, oh, he's 18. But he was 16. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and, and he fought and he, sparked the guy out like <laughs> sparked him and i'm like shit that guy's that guy's an adult he's yeah, been knocked yeah. out by a 16 year old it's mad i mean yeah. um liam harrison were talking about it on i want to say when at rogan podcast he was saying uh some thai boxers that are coming through now they're fighting for titles at like 14 and yeah. cleaning like men out that's fucking mental that yeah it's crazy so yeah we're too old now <laughs> too old definitely but old. but but again with with age comes experience as well so it's like you look at someone like tom like you say he got into it when he was a little bit older but the thing is with tom is he'd, he'd played professional rugby for a yeah. long time so he's, he's coming into it with with a background in something that athletic ability has got there's a lot to be said for that being able to be regimented i suppose with your training and be, even for dieting just to be strict you know for for the season like that's something yeah. that'll carry a lot of weight Whereas like just somebody that's just coming off the street thinking, yeah. right. Yeah. I'd like, I like to think like when I got into it, like if you watched any of my older fights, there's like no technique, there's no nothing. There's no, it's like, I watched things. I remember being then and having fights and then watching them now and being like, I thought I was good then, but I was absolutely shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was just like a toughness what I'd got from the army. So that carried over. Whereas if I'd have been younger and you know, with me, if I'd have been older and not been in the army, I wouldn't have had that yeah, to sort yeah. of carry me through. And then, like you say, like now, I wouldn't start now, even if I was 25 now, I probably wouldn't just 
kick into it now just because people are coming up. People are not like learning just, the, the, they're coming up with MMA so they know yeah. everything from the bat. Whereas, you know, years ago, people just had, were boxers or grapplers. Or, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, There's a lot of catching up to do now, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, it's a new era now. You can you can come to my gym and you can learn the full game of MMA. You don't even need to leave the gym. We've got strength and conditioning coaches. Everything's there, you know, ready. Whereas before you had to have like all these separate coaches yeah. and you know, nobody really knew the complete game, but now, you know, a young kid can come in the gym, learn everything. By the time they're 18, they can fight professionally. And yeah, it's, uh, it's changing the game. Yeah. It's world beaters out there. It's like you said, having it all under one roof, like you've, there's some, there's some big names in your gym and there's a lot of, but yeah, there's a lot of knowledge under one roof. Yeah, and not and not just in my gym. I'm not just here to plug my gym. That's AVT MMA. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in all gyms in the UK, in all these high profile gyms, that you know, that's the thing now. They're, they're teaching MMA. They're not teaching separate arts. They're teaching this is how you have an MMA fight, and, yeah. and I think that's uh, that's where it's all heading now. Wait, but it makes it. I think with the with the lack of exp- like now, I do go to separate people because I've got experience I can put it together whereas younger people you know like the experience thing they don't have to put it together so they get taught everything and they can work it from there you know like yeah. with with the evolution yeah, it the, makes the, it a lot easier to learn it yeah the coaches have just got the answers now you know you go to a coach oh what do I do how do I do this and you know they, get, they kind of give you the answer whereas 10 years ago you'd say to a coach how do I defend this takedown and they'd be like I don't fucking know <laughs> go and ask this fucking wrestler down the road you know, so yeah. so it's I think that that one thing that that starts me at the risk fight now actually when seeing your guys in certain positions and then the the if they're on if when they're on the ground they actually physically walk to their opponent over to their corner to get coached whilst fighting yeah. and that's something the outsider never get like I've never seen that so when I was stood there and I'm watching I'm like this is mental because outside looking in you see people fighting you think they'd be sort of panic you'd think they'd just be trying to like refer back to all of their experience and all their knowledge when really they've got somebody literally two meters away saying do this do that put yeah, your hand yeah. here and it's just so control it was just it was like a, an amazing experience to see it so close and just see people getting coached whilst in an actual fight yeah. and professional like, fights as well yeah mm. i think like when someone picks up a takedown i'm like bring them here you know yeah. bring them this way so yeah it's a lot easier to to do that yeah. obviously if you're in the opponent's corner and they're shouting in your ear it can be it can put you off yeah and, you know i've had guys where maybe maybe my fight is in a shitty position how I talk to, but they're in my corner, yeah? So I'm talking to my fighter and he's in a bad position, but the things I can I can say to him gets in the opponent's head. So yeah. I do this, I might be giving away a secret here, but <laughs> I do this thing where, say say Honor's fighting and he's and he's stuck in a, a guillotine, like a tight guillotine. And I can see that he's struggling. I'll just be saying, right, you know, you're all right. You can just stay there. The guy's burning his arm out. You just you just wait there and he'll squeeze and he'll burn his arm out. He's thinking, fuck, I'm getting choked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the other guy's now thinking, shit, if I keep squeezing, I'm going to burn my arm. Like he's listening yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, oh shit. And then maybe he lets go. And, and that's worked a lot of times. It doesn't always work, you know, but but sometimes I'll do that and the, the guy will, he'll have second thoughts. He'll doubt. I don't think I can finish his guillotine. He'll let go. He's out of the guillotine. And so I'm almost, I'm cornering him, but I can also, you know, it's like a bit of psychological warfare. Yeah. But I can I imagine like the commitment that you have. Guillotine's a prime example. So like when, even when I've just been rolling doing jujitsu and you think, right, I've got this guy here and you think you've got it, you think you've got it and you know you're burning yourself out. And it's just, it, you play with, I, I end up talking to myself in my own head more than I, I think about this other guy that's getting choked because I'm, I'm sat there going, 
oh, if, I, if I burn myself out here, I'm fucked. Like, <laughs> I, ain't got the, I ain't got the cardio to sustain this. It's just going to roll me over, that's it. <laughs> so I suppose in a fight, you've got to think the long game as well. You've got three five-minute rounds or five five-minute rounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, have you ever tried boxing when your arms are burnt? <laughs> it's like, oh, I, can't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, so when you try and guillotine someone, then you got to stand back up. Like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, and it? it's, uh, like you say, you cut... The, your corner man can make or break you sometimes you know if, if you're getting the right instructions it can help you and if and if you're getting the wrong instructions or no instruction um yeah it can definitely hinder you yeah i had, I had some brutal uh brutal cornering from, from the risk fight night we'll release some footage soon uh, <laughs> from a certain other club in the leeds area which i, I wouldn't say it was constructive myself i mean i'm not a professional fighter but the, the criticism that were coming from his own corner wasn't constructive whatsoever, <laughs> but we'll, we'll put that one on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. All, all, all corners are different, and like you see, some cornermen fucking slapping the fighters, and and all fighters are different. They need different. Mm. Uh, yeah, different we've spoken about that before, haven't we? So yeah. So uh, professional fighter, yeah. Try to be. Try to be. <laughs> um, what's what's your record looking like then? So from start to finish, how many fights are you in now as a professional? Um, I think seven professional fights i'm not sure how many wins or losses <laughs> yeah i think i think it's four and three i think four and yeah, three as a professional right, yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure yeah i'm pretty sure i've got a few records in my mind of all the fights at the gym but yeah but so it's four and three as a professional i think you had quite a lot of amateur fights didn't you as well yeah i'd say about, about 40 or 50 amateur fights wow. yeah <laughs> so a lot a lot of That's fights a lot, that. yeah yeah yeah, Will you fight any competitor? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of fights, and then. Uh, but what, what the main thing what I wanted to talk about today is get a bit of an insight into like your life outside of fighting. So obviously, you know, you know, you're training in the gym, you're doing MMA and stuff like that. But we've also got other things. You know, you talked about um, you was in the army, but how did you end up there? You know, from you know leaving school or whatever. You know what? What? Where did you think I wanna? I wanna be a soldier. Well, I probably quite a few times when I just used to get drunk in. It's called the Crescent in Scarborough with all my mates. I just, in fact, nearly every single single day. But then you know sometimes you'll just sit there and think, is this the rest of my life? My cousin was in the army, so I went to careers office with him, and uh, I had a few criminal offences, and you have to wait for them to be spent. So I think I had a year. And then when I re like I went back after a year when my criminal offences had been spent, and like to be honest, when I joined the army, I didn't. It was just a thing like oh, I'll just do this. Like I applied for McDonald's and they rejected me. The same <laughs> I, I wasn't qualified enough to work at McDonald's. And then so I got, I got that job um, at, at, in the in the army. Yet like I, I passed the the selection for it. How, how old were you at this point? I was quite old. I can, I can't even think. You know. Um, 2004 when I joined. 15 years ago. Jesus. You're 29. No, what did you say? 34. 34. So four. <laughs> so. I'll be 29. <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> None of us can do it, maths. <laughs> so yeah, it was quite a long time ago. But yeah, I've, more so the fact that people were like, when I joined, everyone was like, you won't stick it out. You won't stick it out. And I like to prove people wrong. So like, I did it. I enjoyed it, you know. Like, even now, like, I probably miss... I think that's why I like fighting the camaraderie you get from being in the gym. Every, it's the same. It's the same humour. It's the same... I suppose it is the same you're fighting, but obviously it's a different sort of fight. Yeah, yeah. Were you so, in infantry? Yeah. Yeah. 
Just a bullet magnet. <laughs> I wasn't clever enough to do anything else. <laughs> you could just get shot, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you McDonald's, no. No, you get shot. Sound. <laughs> yeah, similar jobs really, aren't they? Yeah. Drive, McDonald's drive through or bullet catcher. <laughs> I remember though, like I said, I was saying to Jack earlier on, I remember like after I'd been paid when I was in the army and I was driving my car through McDonald's drive through looking at it and thinking, I couldn't get that job. But now who's better off? <laughs> <laughs> So I could have been McDonald's, yeah. Know. Thing is, maybe McDonald's would have been better for your mental health. Maybe <laughs> not, maybe not. <laughs> so how long were you in the army for then? Um, seven years I was in the army. So I'd probably still be in now, but the the, the forced me out because of my tattoos, it went through like a redundancy phase when they were making people redundant. And um, I remember getting chatted into office and the, the I can't think it was in charge. And he just said to me, he said, uh, you can either sign off now. It was before Christmas leave. He said, you can sign off now and we'll give you six months or don't come back after Christmas leave. And I had my first lad then. So I was like, right, I'll sign off you. And then sort of from there, it was sort of a snowball downhill, you know. <laughs> a snowball downhill? <laughs> well, yeah, from for me getting out. Because after that, a lot of people felt sorry for me because they knew that I didn't want to get out. I was getting forced ah, out. Right. You know, if you actively sign off yourself and you want to get out, then... You get forced to do things, but like from there, people just left me alone. Like yeah. I just went to camp just to be get there. I stay in bed. You know, I didn't get called on parade or anything like. That. I didn't do any any sort of training for anything. Uh what for the six months you had to? Did you say you had to do six months? Serve, serve six months afterwards. Or I was you, yeah. I was supposed to do six months. I left after four because I remember I was in my room. Everyone was out on a exercise. I was in my room and a, a Scarborough lad came in. And he said, uh, one of the sergeant major on rear parties said, get in his office or he's going to knock you out. So I said, all right, then I said, I'm, I'm leaving this camp now. If he wants to knock me out, come to my office, like come to my room and tell me he's going to knock me out. And I just packed my stuff slowly and went. And then they sort of just ripped me off from there. Fucking hell. <laughs> so what tours did you do whilst you were in the Navy, uh, in the army, sorry? Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> See, Josh didn't. I'm just waiting for him to drop that in there. I was in the navy. Yeah. In the navy, boy. <laughs> well, so I, I were on uh, auxiliary ships. So we we had. All... Is that why you sat on that donut before? Yeah, you yeah, my ass. <laughs> I'm like a professional now. I did seven years actually. So like, um, we were on auxiliary ships. So we had like all uh, Royal Marines um, weapons and ammunitions. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, like you said, it's good camaraderie. It's, yeah, it's yeah, good, it's yeah. Like travel world as well. That's what. It's close knit, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. like everyone's you just together. You sort of like a family type thing. Yeah, every, and then you get well for us. You just end up in a port and just get shit faced around world. Like we've literally pissed it up in Ghana in like little shanty towns. <laughs> it's men, like mental, you know. <laughs> never, never gonna have that experience again in my life. It, oh, uh, you definitely get to see boss, like see a lot of the world. The, yeah, you know. the seedier flats at world. <laughs> <laughs> Places where you don't actually want to see. Yeah. <laughs> So wait, wait, which tours did you go on then? Um, I did two tours of Afghan and one tour of Bosnia. Wow. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so pretty harsh places. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Bos yeah. Bosnia weren't too bad when we were there. It was more, it was such a weird tour. Like obviously the, the, they had the wars or whatever they had in Bosnia, but we were there as police. So we were higher ranking than the police and we were policing the streets. But the big thing we were policing was illegal transportation of trees <laughs> it's weird so we'd like if we see like a big wagon you know with loads of um like logs like big big trees on the back we'd have to pull them over and check them because they'd be tagged if they were legal and if they if they if they were illegal they wouldn't have tags on so like so get... what, what's the benefit in, in smuggling trees <laughs> i don't know it's so weird like now i think back like then i didn't care so well, these like trees it. full of cocaine <laughs> <really>. yeah <laughs> just full of cocaine and weapons and stuff <laughs> 
it's such a weird thing like to <laughs> did you not ask no questions like yeah why the fuck are we guarding these trees like what? i remember there was a picture oh. of me in the paper actually like stood like on like with my rifle on like on one knee like that with loads of trees with a tags on behind and they put it in the sky in the sky of a paper then like now honor's doing a really good job he's over in uh he's over in bosnia guarding the trees <laughs> yeah doing well there's like plenty of trees in, plenty of trees in bosnia now it sounds like one of them jokes today. it sounds like something you'd give to an apprentice like can you go get me that long stand or you know some tartan paint just go watch them trees for us maybe you? that's what it was just, yeah, the joke it. just the joke just lasted for a really long time just like how long months. was you there six months six months yeah, yeah. maybe that yeah, six months just stopping people. <laughs> Did anything else happen while you were there, or was it was it just that? Was it literally just like police in the policing? I think the biggest thing was there is like Bosnia. I think I'm sure Bosnia is like one of the most mined places in the world because the drop mines. Like now, if we drop mine, you've got you've got to have a, like you have maps of where mines are dropped because obviously the, they can't pick out who they're taking kids and stuff back. So like we were going in areas and we've got a map and it's known for mines. So you've got like a track and you've got to stay on that track. There could be mines either side. So that was probably the biggest fear there with us going finding logs and stuff, <laughs> driving through minefields and stuff like that. Driving through minefields. That's mad. I, we I did uh, four months at Falklands and it's the fucking worst place you could. I swear <laughs> to God, right? You take off from Bryce North and there's two flights out of Bryce North when I went. <laughs> Right, you either go to Afghan or you go to uh, to Falklands. So look, I didn't go to Afghan, I went to Falklands. And you <laughs> take off, yeah. You take off and it's like a nine hour flight and you land in Ascension Island, which is basically a little island in Atlantic on the equator. It's like a desert island. It looks amazing. You're like, this is fucking unbelievable. Then you get on a, it refuels. You do another nine hour flight or 10 hours flight to Falklands. So you're like down as far south past Argentina until you hit Falklands Island. And it's like landing back in Manchester. It's just a shit old moorland, right? There's no trees because it's too windy. There's just bushes that grow like sideways. And it's like three-legged sheep and signs for mines everywhere. And there's a sign that, like when you go to uh, Port Stanley and it says twinned with Whitby. That's, <laughs> I, I swear. There you go. I swear, I swear to God. And you're at Falkland, you're there. And all RAF lads. So the work, like all I learned from being at Falklands was well, the worst job in RAF is the poor cunt that's got to drive the, the coach around Bryce Norton Airfield. And that's all he does all day. It's, it's always grey. It was never sunny. It was either grey, snowing or raining. That, that were it, even in summertime. Yeah, and there's this place. poor bastard just driving this fucking coach around this airfield, just hated his life. And you know, he's been doing it for six months, you know. It's fucking grim. So yeah, Falklands never, so, yeah. ever, ever go. So you could have got on the other flight and gone to Afghan and you could have met Honor. You could have... I definitely, even though <laughs> Afghan was pretty bad, I, I think I'd rather have gone. Our lads actually went to to Falklands and they they hated it. I think it was before we went to Afghan. Yeah, but luckily I got away with not going there. Honestly, it's like there's nothing good about it. <laughs> no. Like, and it's they're all fucking inbred, or it's just <laughs> honestly, it's proper grim. And the, the airfield, the airfield itself, it's it's world famous for having the longest corridor like in the world. Like that, like that's even important. There's this one corridor that's about. <laughs> Fucking two miles long. It's in Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. But can you imagine having to walk down the fucker every day? Go to your fucking go to your digs and then walk back up fucking two miles to go to a little sh to go to Naffy for a fucking Snickers and then walk two miles back. Everybody wants to kill themselves. It's fucking great. I know, I know when our lads got back, they were just like, why don't they just give it to Argentina? Yeah. Well, we were only there just to show a presence. Yeah. Like, just give it back I, to them. I thought that. I was there in 2012. <laughs> it was 30th anniversary. 
And it, they were sort of like posturing a little bit with Argentina. And I thought, oh, we might we might kick off. Fuck all we can do because we haven't got any aircrafts or <laughs> weapons or fucking anything. Just, there. just show a presence. Yeah, so just, sticks. They just blow it up. Like, <laughs> I was down there at the same time as Prince William. He did a tour down there before he got married and had his kid. So he was doing, you know, for um, search and rescue. Yeah. And he was there and he looked fucking depressed as well. <laughs> so, yeah, fuck that. Crazy. So, so... You was on the other flight. You went to Afghanistan. Segway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to think we planned that. Yeah, yeah. We actually haven't. It's we've brilliant, been. <laughs> so yeah, two two tours of Afghan. So what what were it like? What was your role? You know, when you were there, what's the first time? I was just sort of like a dog's body. We were in Kabul the first time. It was pretty quiet. I think the second time was in the Herrick. I can't even think what. I think Herrick Seven. So it was pretty brutal then. Um, I was a section commander. We worked with the Afghan National Army on that one, so it'd be um, a section of six of us living in a patrol base. Everyone else is Afghan Army, and we were sort of mentoring them. It's called OMLT, Operational Mentoring Liaison Team. Omelette, as I like to call it. I've seen a a T-shirt with it on. It looks like it says Omelette. Omelette Commander. Yeah. I think that's like the hardest thing of it, you know, the, obviously, the first time when I went to Afghan, you're in a main camp with all your other everyone else. But this time, there's just six of you with lots of people who, you know, they might not like you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sleeping, you know, like you go to sleep. What? What? what you, you never know what's going to happen. You know, it is. It's actually happened on the tours after where people have gone rogue. Is yeah. this with Afghan national, like their national army or their national police that they've turned? The AMP a- were the ones who turned, but. It, it works weird because, like, the National Army, like, say, if we were in Sangin, the army are not from Sangin, but the police are from Sangin, so right. they're more corruptible, if you get what I mean. That's why they'll bring the army in from other places to there, so they're less corruptible because they don't know people there, so they don't have, like, a... Allegiance to yeah, any particular yeah, exactly, person, yeah. family members or whatever. Yeah, which yeah. is what the AMP, they were local to that. That was, like, our battalion were there and did the clear up on that when the AMP guy went rogue and started murking people. Yeah, up. there's um, a, a guy who he does a lot of public speaking around here now, who were a colour sergeant in the army, and he were, he were there at the time when um, one of the guys, when Afghan, I can't remember what it was, whether it was police or... Yeah, it was an AM, yeah, AMP guy. Who uh, it. Turned on, on their guys yeah. and killed... How many people did he kill? Uh, in camp, in base. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think he killed four British, and I think there's quite a lot more of the foreign... People died in that as well. It's I mad. Think. Can you imagine? I like, think possibly nine in total. Yeah, yeah. I think nine. In your safe zone as well. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, when you're just chilling. Yeah, yeah. All right, mate, how's it going? Pfft. Nice one. Yeah, he, he nice does day. talks around around Yorkshire. Uh, a guy called Chris uh, Robinson. He's got his, his things called Maven Training. It might be worth you talk, chatting to him, actually. He's, he's sort of like building up a team of ex-forces to talk about their time and, you know, sort of give like keynotes and, and yeah. whatnot. But that's part of his keynote speech is, uh, you know, that, that and then how they went on to try and rectify the problem because yeah, they initially yeah. like segregated people. So segregated the Afghans with, from the British forces. Mm. But then realistically, you need to you, you can't segregate. You need oh, to get no. them together so that you can spot it before it happens. Yeah, so you yeah. need to get people together so you can watch people's patterns and behaviours. If, if, if it would ever happen again, they can prevent it rather than if, if it were just split. Yeah. They'd just be planning their attack again, wouldn't they? Uh, I think the... The Afghan army are pretty good, you know. I remember we had a commander, and he'd fought the Russians. 
I can't think what side he was on. He fought the Russians when, like, when the Russians were in Afghan fighting there. And I remember he, like, I remember when, when my boss got killed, he was just like, we're going to find him and we're going to kill him. And he was just brutal. And, yeah. we, like, I remember once we were, like, asking him, like, what would you do, you know, if you were in charge of all this? And he said, basically, I'd just get everyone out who's good and nuke Afghan. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that, but... <laughs> yeah. I like, I like your ideology because he said like basically like he was on about basically Afghan if you look through the history of Af Afghanistan they've always fought yeah. they fight other people they fought Russians and then they split up then they fight each other you know the the Mujahideen fought the Russians off and then the Mujahideen split which one was the Taliban one was the Mujahideen and then they fought each other the Taliban came victorious there and it's it's just a big spiral like through through lots of history even like years and years like hundreds of years ago they've always been fighting they're just a fighting nation yeah i don't even think i'm sure afghanistan as a as a country have never been beat in in like any sort of fighting scenario or you know like yeah, I, yeah. I, I had their asses handed to them in that sort of scenario fucking hell crazy yeah so so, so <laughs> you like so, your role there, you were like a liaison, if you like, between the Afghan army. Yeah, yeah. So we'd we'd show them tactics. You know, we'd go out on patrol with them. We'd try and put them at the forefront, like of the patrol. So they're patrolling because obviously it's hearts and minds. We weren't there to try and kill people. We're there to put peace. You know, make people feel comfortable in in the towns. So they, they they won't feel comfortable with with like the British people. Yeah, if you just marching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. Like the, that's the thing. What the Americans did wrong. The Americans like that we've seen in Sangin, they're patrolling on their own. But so we obviously wear more forward thinking Americans are just gonna they just wanna shoot someone. So we 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 take them out on patrol, put them up front. If there's um like one of the chiefs or whatever they're called, we'd send them in to speak to them, like they'd have to liaise with the chiefs, rather than us going and being like, Oh yes. You know, it it makes it a bit more personal to them than than just some random, like an English guy, I don't care, but an Afghan guy, it's obviously going to care a bit more. Yeah. It's his own country. Yeah. So, so this story you talk about in Sangin, like I've I've read it and it features in a book. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a, f a few people, a few people have have seen that, and I know you've shared it online and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that that was like the major thing, like in your whole army career? That's the, that's the one thing that kind of stands out as like, um. You know the 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 big event, if you like, that happened when you was in the army. The it's kind of life changing, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah, obviously, definitely. when you've left the army, you know people talk about things like PTSD and stuff. But this is stuff that you've gone through and yeah. and you're dealing with and that. So yeah, you know, sorry, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I definitely say like that. I, I think I even spoke about it to my missus not long ago. I say like that is one of the things what's made me the person I am today. Like before that, I was sort of a similar person, but not as in touch with reality or like i don't know you you find your emotions you find stuff becomes a bit more clearer like i'd say even stuff like you know people worry about dying like like me myself i don't think to myself i'm scared of dying i just think i'm gonna die but make the most of my life before i die rather than being like like spend every day worrying about dying and then you're gonna die anyway yeah, just yeah. enjoy your life and then when you die if you can look back I enjoyed my life and I died. For, for obviously, for the people that don't know, including myself, can you elaborate on this story? So, like you two, obviously, it's like you've, you. Segue. You've, no, no, yeah. like you two, you two have had like a, a chat then, but like me as an outside listener yeah, and myself, I, I don't know what you're on. Yeah, about. that's it. Like I say, he spoke. What's the book called? It's featured. Um, in, do you know Operation Snake by its by a bloke called Stephen Gray. Yeah, 
Um, it's got loads of stories from yeah, Alan Italian. Like, like, and, a, like a collection of different stories yeah, yeah. that, that happen, yeah. It's a decent book, I think I do have it. Um, I've got it on the audio, not audio. A book, Kindle. A Kindle. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some screenshots and stuff. But yeah, if you want to like... Yeah, you don't have to, like, no, by, no, by, no, by no. all means. Like, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. It's just, I'm outside looking, listening. I'm thinking if other people are listening, and I, I don't know what you're actually talking about, other people, only people that know you two are, are going to know. <laughs> yeah, that. That, no, that's it, that's it. Let's uh, give us your, give us your rundown. As it's, it's one of them things, like, people always worry about asking me about things, but um, through going through all the trauma, resettlement, or whatever it is, they make you talk about it anyway, because they yeah. say that your minds are, storage thing and if you don't talk about it it doesn't go in the right whatever so yeah i'm I, I'm happy to talk about it um basically when we we're in sangin our battalion moved on to somewhere else but i stayed over in sangin while the it was artillery came and joined us so i worked with um four artillery and then an le captain like an le captain's a guy who's gone through the ranks so he started at private and um, he's gone through the ranks to become captain. He was, he, I think you do 22 years in the army and he was on his 25th year. And like, this was going to be his last year in the army. And he was a Scottish guy. I can't think what his, what his regiment was. But basically, like, so we all worked in a team with, with the Afghan army. Um, uh, like one morning, obviously, you go on patrol every single day. I think sometimes you do two, three patrols a day. Uh, we went out on patrol. Funny story though, like the, the day we went out on the patrol, we walked past one point what we'd only been past once. And the last time we walked past it, it had a bounding mine on it. So we never went there again. We crossed it off because um, I think I was I was either up front or second with my, my old platoon. And um, the mine jumped up like probably waist height and then just landed on the floor. So when you say a bounding mine, that's what it is. It's like it, it fires up, and usually it's on like a cord. It'll pull the pin, and then it explodes. And it like it's made to maim people. So the theory is, rather than just kill one person who you could leave behind, take out two people who are still alive, and then four, um, eight people have got to carry those two people slowing everyone down so you can attack them. So yeah, the bounding mine jumped up, and then it just landed on the floor, and it felt like slow motion. Like it just, I remember just looking. It was just like someone had just chucked a rock and it just hit the floor and then we were all like, look, and then nothing happened and we all turned and looked at each other and then it was just like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> that, that was a close call. <laughs> Has anyone got any spare pants? <laughs> but then it ensued of like a long day of waiting for the demolitions to come out and, and explode that. Um, and then it actually turns out the guy who triggered it was, we had a big wall probably higher than the ceiling wall. I don't even know, maybe eight or 10 feet. And apparently he was sat behind there. So we were like there talking and he'd pressed it to trigger it off. So he was at the other side yeah, of the just wall. On the, like af, after when EOD had come in to, to, to like to put demolitions on it. They can the, follow the, where the yeah, trigger gone be, like, They found all the stuff behind the wall. So he's like literally not even as far as that wall away from, from where we were stood. Like the wall was about here, I think when, when we Fuck. were stood there. <laughs> but yeah, so that like that, area what we started to patrol on on the the, the the later on patrol with the different platoon um that was the first time like you sort of like you get like a i wore this is this is going to sound disgusting i wore the same trousers for seven months not washing them seven i've still got them in my loft i wore the same still, boots, still not washed you know, still not washed. actually genuinely still not washed the same boots the same trousers for the seven months i was there even when i went on r and r and i came back you, you get like superstition about things you know like yeah. i think like 
if I change my trousers, I'm going to get killed. But like, so when we, we walked past that point, I sort of had like a superstitious, like gut-wrenching feeling like, Jesus, that's the first time we've been past here. But then, you know, they crack on patrol. Um, I think that was on our way into the green zone because you have, you have, we had a big like river running through where there's loads of greenery. This was outside the green zone where there's, it's like desert essentially, but because there's water running, you know, um, greenery and stuff can grow. So I went into the green zone, patrolled along the green zone, and then we were coming back out of the green zone. And I remember it was sort of like in a, a dog leg shape. And I remember we walked out of the green zone into like the, uh, so there's like buildings and then turned left. And I remember looking probably about five meters in front of me, my cap, my captain, the, the, bloke who was in charge was there the the captain captain mcdermott and i remember looking at him thinking i'm too close here so i'll back off so I, I, I sort of stood there for a bit and let him patrol further around and then i came around the corner and i remember just looking at him as he got to there was um a t-junction and as he got to the t-junction there's sort of like a door to the left and then i just remember just saying Poof. and i remember like like just just like the, you know, like the chaos and just being like, what's even going on? And all the Afghans started shooting back, you know, because they were in front of him. They, 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 they ah, so they were, they was leading the patrol. They oh, was yeah, in yeah. front. So the explosion was behind them. So they turned around. So was you at the back then? Yeah, I was the, I was the very last man yeah, in the patrol. Yeah. And the, so they turned around and started shooting back at me. And I'm like, stop, stop firing, stop firing. And at this time, like the, the sort of, the dust sort of settled and all I can see is a, a leg with like um, camo trousers and a boot on, that's it, just a leg. And then the interpreter's lying right next to him. So I couldn't communicate with the Afghans because the interpreter was like, he looked, he basically looked, I can't remember what I explained to someone once. It's like he just got shot with a shotgun, like from his head down to his waist. Right. Um, Just like, just holes everywhere. I remember like I was just stood there. It, it, it's weird to think because... I went through moments of like, I'd stand there and I'm like, right, I need to do this. And then I'd be stood there and I'd be crying and then, and then right, I'm going to do this. And I'm crying again. And then, you know, like yeah, my, yeah. My, my emotions were like all over the place, but I was nervous. I stood still. I dare even move. Yeah. Cause I like, it was quite a distance. I'd probably say I was maybe 20 meters away from where it was. If, but yeah. that's not that far. You said that's quite a distance, but that's still pretty fucking close. <laughs> yeah. That's like in my gym, like standing at one end of the mats to the other. Yeah, fucking so that's about close. it. Yeah, that, yeah, was, that yeah. was about that's about the distance. Um yeah, I remember like thinking, but there was it was weird because there was the the mud track and then just to the side there was like grass with like the odd like little tree. And I remember thinking, well, there's grass there. So there won't be anything buried there because you'd see the mud and it, no one's going to walk because it was, it was inbuilt, you know, like, so if the wall was set back a bit, there's grass there. You couldn't just walk because you did the wall on the either side. So I thought they won't put anything there. So I stepped on there and I, I walked towards um, where everyone was. I remember getting to the interpreter who was lying there and his, his thumb, his thumb was like, pointing downwards, <laughs> you know, like his thumb, his Pretty much his thumb was holding on by just one little piece of skin. I remember like touching it a little bit and just be like, oh, Jesus. Was he, so he's like completely it, dead at this no, point? No, he was alive. The, the interpreter was alive, but he yeah. was just like, uh, like making weird noises. So I had to give him morphine. Um, I injected him with morphine and it was just, I, there was no radio. I had no radio. The captain, 
Jesus. The <laughs> captain had had the radio. So, um, you can let yourself back up if you need. This chair's just slid down, that's all. There we go, we're good. Shit with my leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the captain had the radio, so I had no comms with anyone. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I've missed a whole part of that story out. So we go out We go out usually in a, in a six-man team with um, 12 Afghans. Um, one of the lads stayed back, so we were we ended up with... We split up to do... Um, I can't think what it's called now. You sort of zigzag over each other. Um, it's like an old uh, island tactic. Uh, so we split up into a team. So we'd have... We, in, in my team, there was six Afghans, me and my boss. Yeah. And in the other team, there was three, three British and six. And they went off somewhere else. So this is... Obviously, I've missed that out. So that's why it was just me and my boss and no other yeah. British soldiers. And then six Afghan soldiers and then and the interpreter. So I had no comms with any of the bases. And the other so lads... Li yeah, literally the only British yeah, person... Yeah, the, the only British man. ...stood there... <laughs> With a load of Afghans <laughs> in Afghanistan, and I was, my ass was going <laughs> nipping because obviously, like at that point, that's when you think to yourself, "Well, who's on my side now? Like, yeah. who's who's with me? Like, what if they've orchestrated this? You know, it's weird. They were through the, they were through it before. Yeah. Why not get the center? Why get the very like the, the the second to last man? You know, everything starts going through your head. You, it's just wild. Because I remember I, I was carrying the uh, general purpose machine gun. And I had a pistol. And I remember I just had my pistol in my hand the whole time that I was doing everything. Because I just thought if someone comes there, I'm just going to shoot someone. Yeah, yeah. I'll just shoot like whoever comes near me where, where I feel threatened. Um, yeah, so I'll get back to where I was. <laughs> so I'd, I'd sorted the, um, I'd given me morphine uh, and I was just looking around. I was looking for for the boss. I remember shouting him. I was like, I was shouting like, boss, boss. Just thinking he might still be alive. His yeah. leg's there. He can survive without a leg. Well, I remember looking down the T-junction and I seen his, the top half of his rifle. It was just resting against the wall like someone had just placed it there. Yeah, yeah. And then there was there was like just bits of stuff sort of down that way. And there was there was nothing anywhere. Um, there were lots of high buildings around us, you know, so there was only like the, the, the T area of the road. And I was just looking everywhere and I couldn't, I couldn't see him. But then... Um, uh, a pickup truck comes flying down and I'm, I'm just telling him to stop. Obviously, I don't want them to hit anything. I think it was just a civilian pickup truck. And I, t I, I tell them to stop and then I, I tell the, um, I get the interpreter, pick him up, put him on the back of the, and tell the, um, the pickup to go to the DC, which is the district centre where our main base is. And then that flies off. And then I'm just stood there thinking, why didn't I just get, yeah, why why didn't I just I get, get on that? that wagon? But, you know, I had like a duty of care to the to the Afghans, I suppose, and then I start trying to place them in the sort of all round defence to stop more people come. Because at that time, when the van came, the, the the pickup came down, that's when I was like, right, I need to stop people coming down yeah. here because there could be more dangers in the area. Like you don't know whether it's been triggered by he stepped on it. Or, so you don't know if there's going to be other in that area. Did, did you figure out what it was that actually happened? Do you know the the, the explosive that went off? Did you did you I've, figure out like after where? you have a team what come in after and they they worked out it was um, two British mortars and, and they just buried it, it. It was bound in mind. It was it was two British mortars. Oh no, it was two hundred and five millimeter artillery shells and then. Uh, three metres down, two British mortars, three metres down, two British mortars. So if it had all gone off, everyone but me would have been dead. Yeah. But luckily when it went off, when it blew up the first time, the um, it, it ripped the other, it ripped the rest of the charge off. So it, it stopped them from blowing the rest ah, of so them off. So there was no connection to the others. No, so uh, like there was no leading connection. 
which was a pretty much a bonus. Because I remember after when they said, they said the reason why, because I was close, they said the reason why you didn't have, because I remember standing there after and I was like, well, not not after after the whole thing, you know, when I got back to camp, like touching myself thinking, have I been hit? You know, you hear people who've been hit and they don't know they've been hit. And I hadn't. And they said that because they buried it quite deep. So when, when the charge went off, it came up. That's why the interpreter who stood next to him was fragged from the oh, waist yeah. up, even though he was stood right next to him because the, the, the explosion went up. Yeah. That's why it took his leg off because it sort of sit like he was stood above it and his leg was next to it. Um, right, yeah. So. Yeah, so after that, after I put everyone in sort of an all-round defence, I then decided to, I ran a mile from where I was to our patrol base to get uh, Kingy, who was at a patrol base. And I know there's a wagon, like, obviously we had a wagon there. Um, I remember just running there, I had my pistol, and I was just firing it in the sky because there was, there was bikes and people were coming in. Obviously, you know, like, they they don't want the fact, they don't want the war, but they hear an explosion. They're curious as well, so they're all sort yeah. of like looking there's a, there's a british soldier running up running up here but to me at that time i'm thinking well one of them could want to try and wipe me out as well so i'm running up there just shooting my pistol into the air um i get to the patrol base and i remember um i think i don't know if a king because he, he had an injury and i remember him coming through the door and he was like what's going on i said the fuck? i said the boss is gone mate he's gone and he was like what do you mean the boss is gone i said he's gone like he's gone it was so weird because obviously i'm saying it like he should understand me but he's like it's disbelief, you know, yeah. you can see the disbelief. And I was like, we need to go and we need to go to like, the, I said, I don't know where the rest of the team are. We need to go to the DC so we can get comms to the DC. Um, so we got in a wagon. I was, I think I was, I was, um, I was, I was gunner on it. And then he drove us and uh, drove us to the DC. And I, I gave them sort of rundown of what had happened. Um, went to see if the, inter the interpreter by then had already been flown off uh, so he could get sorted out. Um, and, yeah, I told all them. I remember going sick when I got in there because, you know, like the what the one weird thing is, you know, if you're in a if you're in a firefight when you're out there, everyone is there backing you up. You know, everyone, all the all these high ranking people are there because they want to shoot stuff. An explosion goes off, and I don't know how much time had passed, but no one. Do you know what I mean? Like I felt like I was on my own. I remember going in there, and I was shouting at everyone, calling everyone dickheads, funny. Yeah, yeah. You're all this, you're all that. Yeah, you you've got no spine and all this, and you know, and it, it was. It was a pretty wild time. I think they probably let me off because they knew I was a bit, <laughs> a yeah. bit edgy at that time. <laughs> In shock. I remember out. like driving into the um, into the. I can't think who were on the like it's the the DC is pretty big. I remember driving into the DC thinking if these think we're a suicide bomber, the the speed you know usually you'll take it slow to the DC. If these think we're a suicide bomber, we're getting machines yeah, yeah. on the way into this camp. But luckily there was sort of a bit alert and you know like because we, we flew it like we flew at some speed into there. But it turns out like the team, the rest of the team were sort of on the road uh, parallel to it, but they didn't want it because they you know because the because an explosion happened, they didn't want to sort of walk into anything yeah, else yeah. and they were obviously trying to radio me that they didn't know anything so they sent out um another patrol which found them and then also the after they, were, they went out to find like where, where they found the it actually landed where i was stood there was a building which was um behind the wall you couldn't see it you know if you stood and looked up because it was pretty high and he's his body had landed there and next to there there was like a seat you know like um, a seat where you rip out of a car where the bloke in the battery in front of it with the wires and he'd, he'd set it off there and the our captain's body had landed right next to him so like oh. I can't even imagine like imagine being that guy like <laughs> <laughs> Jesus you know yeah. so weird like that's 
That's he covered some distance. I think, I think, I can't think whether they said possibly 25 metres his body distance had covered, you know, like going up in the air and coming down, like the, the trajectory that he'd have to have taken. Yeah, they yeah. come in and work every, like all that crazy stuff out, you know. Uh, I remember the, um, I can't remember what they're called now. We went to we, uh, inquest. We went to the inquest after, and obviously they tell you everything there because they have to try and read. Like they were, they were asking me loads of questions, and I was like, "Well, I said, what if it's my fault?" You know, like well, he, obviously he thinks to fly. Yeah, yeah. They give you like reassurance and stuff. His family's there, and, but yeah, they tell you everything, and that's when you're like, "Jesus!" So that, like all that was there. Pretty crazy. Uh, crazy. What happened to the interpreter? Did the interpreter? Yeah, survive? he survived. Yeah, he survived. I, I went yeah? Um, when we because obviously I tried to stay in Sangin the. I got a lot of aftercare after that. They wanted to, um, they were going to pull me out, and I was like, "No, I'd rather stay here." Because when you say aftercare, do you mean like speaking, like like mental, yeah, mental yeah. health? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, Scotty, our, uh, I think he was a sergeant major. Then he was in charge of us. He came and spoke to me, like, and he said, "Do you want to stay, or do you, like, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "I said, oh no, I want to stay." But then at that time we were on the roof, someone threw a grenade and it blew up and then I started crying and it was like, right, I'm pulling you out. So I ended up like pulling out of there. I stayed in camp, I think for it was a week in the, um, uh, I can't think of the name, the, the big massive one anyway, uh, Bastion. Yeah, we well, we, Bastion, were, we yeah. were in the bit next to Bastion with the Afghans. So I stayed there for about a week and it was just horrible. You know, I just wanted to get back out there and in and, the, and, um, sort of just get back at it it's, it's sort of uh it's just weird the climax like it's an anti-climax you know it's it's such a strange thing i was gonna say something else but i forgot what i was on about that so that were your last that were your last tour then you obviously came home after that yeah yeah so yeah. how long is it from there so you, you come back from afghan and then how long are you still in the army for before you leave um, after that is that like close to the end of your time no i'd, I'd serve because I, I served quite a while obviously uh I I was in a year before I got diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and that's, so you're talking about PTSD after this event's yeah. happened, yeah. So like um, from, from that event, um, a year on was the, P Every, like I remember uh, at what time, they sent me off to see a psychiatrist because one night I went out and got drunk and then I took the, the, I took loads of people hostage and I said, I, was, I said, I was, I was saying that I want to go back to Afghan now. Like I want to go back. I smashed loads of stuff up. Uh, whereabouts were you when you took these hostages? That, that was in camp in, in Blackpool. <laughs> I caused absolute chaos and ripped fire doors off, smashed things up, smashed all sorts. Like the next day when I woke up, I was just like, Jesus, I'm in a world of shit. Yeah. But luckily that, you know, like the, the bloke who I went and seen, he said, look, we've been watching you. We know what happened and we know that this is because of this. And then that's when they sent me off to get assessed. And then that's when I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I, th I think possibly I did three more years after that. Yeah, so that's a long, that's a long time. Yeah. I, I thought that it was more towards the end, but yeah, that's... Well, the, the thing was, like, after that, I know we were due to go back to Afghan again. And I like, I, I went into the um, RSM's office and I said to him, I said, look, I ain't going to bullshit you. I said, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to go, like, go back because I've been through all my treatment and stuff. And he was like, fair enough. He said, like, I understand. Like, he said, everyone, he said, loads of people have made loads of excuses up. You are the first person to come in here and be honest with me and tell me you're scared. He said, I, like, I respect that because, you know, like, it shows you've got balls by telling me you're scared. And then he sent me off to Catrick because I said I sort of want to be in army anymore. I said, if I can't do that, like, I'm one of them people, like, every report that I've ever had, 
in-camp soldier, horrendous, in-the-field soldier, amazing. Like, it's two different people. So I said, well, if I can't do that, then what, you know, like, I'm, I'm not a soldier anymore. But they sent me off to Catrick to to do um, training, like, training people to do courses, like uh, NCO kind of courses, and um, non-commissioned officer courses and stuff like that. Uh, and I think I did that for two years. And then all the hierarchy changed, and we got a new... Um, stuck up guy as, as the CEO of our, our, our regiment and he was the guy who, I think I was getting my, I got a military award I got uh, mentioned in dispatches and when I was getting awarded that apparently he looked at me and said he's not a very sellable soldier and then it was then from then on when he decided to just try and get rid of me because as, as, uh, it was because of the tattoos on my neck I had, well, I had I got tattoos on my neck not as bad as I have now and then on my hands and he just said because of that and that's why he didn't want me in not sellable <laughs> <laughs> that's great bollocks in it but now you're allowed in with that. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Now you can you can go in and fucking. I'm too old now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably would if I if I'm too old, I'd probably give it a bash. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's a crazy story. And then you talk about like obviously getting diagnosed with PTSD. Like, how did they look after you? You know, you're in the army. You've got this PTSD. Did you know? Is are they looking after you all the time with that, or is it something that they sort of, you know? I think. I'd like to say I was looked after, but because I was the first of our regiment that, for anything, that was like the biggest thing of the tour, like the biggest, well, barring other people dying, but someone being there and something happening, that was like one of the biggest things of our tour. So I got looked after because of that. But I'd like to say that, you know, just because that happened to me and I got PTSD doesn't mean that other people need something that traumatic to happen. There was people who could have just seen someone get shot or something small happen and they are getting looked after as well. But I've, I, I'd say I'd, I, as far as being looked after, I'd, I definitely got looked after a lot better than other people got looked after. But what about when, so you, so they say, you know, look at you, look at you got tattoos we don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> they fuck you off from army. So once you're out of army, does that does that have, does that care continue, or is it like you're out of the army? You know, you you're not our problem anymore. Is that the kind of case? Yeah, pretty much. Once you let like I remember, I went through like some crazy times once I left the army, like just just not having any money, sleeping in my car. Um, obviously, I had a missus when I first came out of the army, but when the when the money stopped and you know you can't afford to pay what you were paying before the relationship goes to shit especially because the relate like everything breaks down like i'm like now essentially just a a ticking time bomb i'll snap at anything you at the time you don't really think like when, when i first got diagnosed with ptsd i thought next time i'll know what it's like but then it don't go away like i remember um a bloke who i know who served in ireland and he said to me he said the best thing the best advice i can give you is you'll never get over PTSD. He said, you'll be able to manage it, but you'll never get over it. So like now I like to think, I've still got PTSD, but I just, I'm just i better at managing it. You know, I learned to live with it. Like, yes, I'm going to get nervous with this. Yes, I'll have problems with that, but that's me. So do, do you do anything? Um, so obviously managing it is, is the biggest part now. Do you do anything to do that? So like meeting with guys that you're in army with, talking to other, with other people with PTSD, is something like this, you've been able to discuss it. Does that help or is it what... What do you do to manage it now? Uh, to be honest, MMA is a big, yeah. it's like been like a really big, just the, just the training. Like, you know, like there's been, there was, there was like times when I came out of the army and I didn't, I didn't leave my flat. I remember, I remember 
going to the shop and buying a big, I think, 24-pack of crisps, and that's what I survived on until they ran out. And that's all I had to survive yeah. on. And, like, you know, when, when I started training, you know, doing all, all things like that, that's when I'm getting out of the house, you know. So, like, like when I, obviously, when I was going to Danny's, it's getting me out of... The thing is, like, if I was training somewhere in Scarborough, I can sack it off. Yeah. Because I'm going to Leeds, I'm driving all the way to Leeds, and it's getting me out of the house, you know. Even yeah. just that driving to Leeds, it's, I'm out of the house there. It's, it's too late. I can't then turn around and go, oh. even if I turn around and go back, I'm already out of the house. So yeah. that I find that the more you're in the house, the less you want to go out of the house. So yeah. once you're out, it's easier to stay out. Or, yeah, so you're treating it. He's treating MMA almost like a, a job as such. So you're trying to get out as, yeah, as much yeah. as possible. And yeah, because like, like you've said about MMA before, it's like it's similar to being in the army in, mm. in the respect that you're all, you know, you're all kind of mates. And then, at, you know, at some point you're going to you're gonna have a fight, which is kind of like, I'm not saying it's anything like, you know, shooting at people and getting shot, but it's a similar... But I mean, there is a hierarchy as well. So I suppose that, that serves a purpose quite well. Because yeah. I mean, like seeing jiu-jitsu, having the belt structure, seeing the coaches seeing the head coach like that is a structure that is there so everyone can have a crack but then when push comes to shove like if you say this is what's happening everyone says right yeah no fucking accurate like it's happening so i yeah, suppose yeah. that hierarchy yeah i can see it is like I, I do like like granted yeah the shooting and fighting but it's still it's the same it's essentially if you strip away what actually happens in a fight to the basis it's the same the structure is going to be the same yeah it's I that think, conflict at the end yeah. there's going to be a conflict but then you've got a team with you as well. So yeah. in that respect, it's similar. And I, and I think a few, I think, is there some kind of organisation now that's set up where it's something to do with like MMA? Yeah, I think there is. The, the, yeah, there's like an MMA for like, um, you know, for like war veterans or whatever. It's like, there's like some kind of programme. And yeah. yeah. To help cope with, because I think, I remember the uh, an American guy years ago wrote an article on it. I can't remember his name now. Um, he wrote an article on using uh mma for ptsd and uh obviously i was do i was doing mma then when i read it and i thought jesus yeah, yeah. Like, at the time i didn't really think of it but then like thinking like after i read that i thought yeah that's pretty much what i'm what i'm doing and it's the same as you know like uh people who are depressed the best thing go do go fitness, fitness yeah, yeah. is it's a, it's a good like so it's the same so MMA for, for you using it as like a sustainable future so obviously you're training now as a, an active fighter but then natural progression i assume would be coaching um would then be taking somebody under your wing or coaching a certain part of martial arts and then be able to corner people is that something you'd look into or is that not something you're yeah interested I, I, in? sort of like you do it anyway i think like like especially we've got a close team you know so yeah. you sort of you're not just training you're coaching you know yeah, everyone's yeah. coaching each other we're that close where we'll do something and then you know like if i get caught in something i'll go oh, what even happened there and they go oh basically do that with your leg or right oh you had your leg there so i think it's it's all sort of part and parcel with everyone helps everyone out it's not like if someone will choke me out and then be like <laughs> yeah no i meant more more like obviously you're a retired fighter yeah, yeah. so once you decide to retire then you can commit you can still train, but you can sort of commit more to coaching and molding another fighter. That's sort of what I was trying to get at. Yeah, that's like, what, like are you bothered about doing that, or would you rather just train and just you know? I probably I probably would eventually. I've I have done like classes before. Scarborough's Scarborough's <laughs> premier MMA club. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you're stuck in Scarborough. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why. Like before, I did. I I I, I, did, I ran. I've run a few classes before. And it sort of stuck me in Scarborough where I couldn't train myself. So 
I'd, I'm sort of enjoying training myself yeah, yeah. at the moment. But I think even in the long run, if people want it, like if I saw interest, then yeah, I'd, I act like allergic to teaching other people. Yeah. If people want to learn off me if they're that stupid, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's class. <laughs> that's a, that's that. Honestly, that story made me, left me speechless. Like, yeah. Obviously, you learned that story before, but yeah, yeah. I were a bit. Yeah, that is a fucking yeah, fair play to me. Like you say, you, you know, you get diagnosed with PTSD and you're still dealing with that today using MMA, but we're living in a time now where I think everyone's got PTSD. <laughs> I think I've got it just from being here. Yeah, you know, just yeah it's from weird, you know, people story. get it for everything now. Like, no but, but, what do you, but, but what do you think of that? Do you, do you think that that, you know, having, having experienced that and knowing what that feeling is, like, what, what do you think of all these other people who are claiming it? Is it... I'm sort of in two minds because I, in my mind, I know PTSD is trauma. It's traumatic. So if something is traumatic to you, you can get PTSD from it. So if if you're walking down the street and there's a big puddle and a car runs through it and it splashes you and everyone's laughing at you, you can get PTSD from it. But then it's like, grow a spine. Don't let that be traumatic yeah. to you. You know, let something extreme be traumatic. People are getting softer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's completely subjective, isn't it? Yeah. That's that's the problem. Yeah. But we also live in a society where a kid says he's stressed, and like I remember growing up and having hard times when you're growing up. Yeah. But that wants stress, like stress, like when you get older, you know. Yeah. It's. I think now we're just living a time where everyone's like, "Oh, I've had a bad day. Here's some antidepressants." Yeah. And guess what? A side effect of antidepressants is depression. So you're sort of in a big, massive hole. The best thing I ever did, well, I'm not saying for everyone, but the best thing I ever did was come off antidepressants and learn to cope with it Yeah. just in a better way than... Antidepressants are evil, you know? They're evil things. That, I mean, that's it. We are in a bit of a soft world, as, aren't we? And it's, it's only yeah. getting softer. Like, I think the problem is now that anyone can claim anything. Yeah. And it is a tough one. Like, like I look, I look back at my time on ship and that's stood me in such good stead for starting a business and mm. trying to start all this because I joke with the people that I work with that like no one died, no one got pregnant. That, that, that was always like a bit of a joke thing for us on yeah. ship. But like I've been on ship where it's set on fire. Like we've had like fires, floods. Do you know like when, but you'll, you'll, you'll see it yourself. Like we do all this training, like wartime scenarios, like you do like th th uh, Thursday wars down in Portsmouth and you do all these exercises and you learn about how to firefight, how to do, um, what happens if we if we flood? What happens if we have a casualty? All these emergency situations. Then when an emergency arises, you get that adrenaline rush yeah. and you buzz in and it's like fuck, it's on fire. Our <laughs> ship's blacked out. We're flooding and it's like I always I, I loved it. Like I probably thrived in it because yeah. I thought it'll never get that bad. And luckily it never got that bad. You know, like yeah. we'd we'd have a fire, we'd all react, we'd put out the problem, and then we'd sort of like restart again. But having seen the bad stuff that can happen on a ship, mm. you know, in certain places around the world. And then I come back and I do like we're running a business now. No matter how bad it gets, it ain't as bad as that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, that's that's like a reference point. And yeah. like my biggest thing to when I tell, talk to people now is like, if you've got a point of reference to go back to, then you know it's never going to get that bad again. Yeah. And it seems that's that's like my coping when when times gets hard with business or anything at home. I'm like, it, it's not as bad as the ship being on fire. Do you know like that's yeah, as definitely. bad as it's going to get? Yeah. And but the, that's where people are soft now because they haven't got that reference because all the seas fucking hashtag entrepreneur on, on, on Instagram. They yeah. see people driving around in, in fucking Ferraris that they don't own, on yachts yeah, that they yeah. don't own. It's a false and the, economy, isn't it? That's what they, everyone strives for that. So yeah. no one's had that struggle. So like our parents' generation, where they've had to struggle coming mm -hmm. up, all they had to do was just get a job, 
pay for food, pay for mortgage or rent. And that was pretty much it. If you can get through that, yeah. you've done all right. Whereas now that's all like done. Everything's on tick. <laughs> Hands down, everything's on tick. Yeah. I want the fucking rest of it. I want, <laughs> I want the fucking super yachts and the, the private private yeah. jets like or a, a Rolex and a fucking... Yeah, t- times are just easier now, aren't they? Like yeah, a, as, you know things progress just life is easy for people and i think it's subjective though isn't it is it easier or is it harder i think it's i think this is where the subjective things in it could be harder because because it's the the, the things are so easy to get like you, your dreams one payment away mm. that's a that, that's the life in it yeah your fucking dream car is one payment away you want that m4 <laughs> it's fucking 450 quid a month and it's yours you know yeah. and you're like oh you know i fancy it i had 900 quid a month <laughs> i could live in my m4 yeah but I think it is a bit subjective, you know. Yeah, and I, like with stuff now, like um, we're like bullying in schools. There's this big, there's this big program mm-hmm. now, like let's remove bullying, let's let's get bullying out of schools. But when you think about it, it's like we all got bullied at school, mm. like a, a, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Every, and, and and it's about kind of how you deal with that growing up that sort of makes you a, a person. Yeah. And I think if you just if you just remove bullying from schools completely, and you just had everyone being really nice to each other. It kind of things would be fucked. I'm, I'm not a fan you, of that. It's like when you th- you got to think about the the universe is about balance, isn't it? Yeah. Like you need, you know, p- people like all these people who read the secret are like, let's get rid of all negative emotions, <laughs> no yeah. negative, no negativity. Yeah, but the problem with that is that you actually need some negativity yeah, yeah. to like to to get your defenses. Like, yeah, let's let's not speak to him. You know, it's that. I mean, yeah. Like, if everyone was just super positive, it'd be fucked. Shit. Rogan, <laughs> Joe Rogan references this all time in it, like on on his podcast. It's like Disney as an example. They're saying, look at how nice this bear is and this fucking deer, and they're all mates and they're all like trotting through woods together. But realistically. That bear's gonna that bear's gonna go and fuck that deer. Or that alligator's gonna come out and fucking fuck <laughs> eat it. Eat it. Yeah. Well, that, so, that, so not fuck no, it. That, well, maybe. <laughs> have you seen the Reverend? Well, have you seen the Reverend with um, Leonardo DiCaprio? He gets fucked by a bear. Doesn't he? <laughs> but like that's the, that's the reference in it. Like yeah. everything's looking all fluffy and fairy, and that's yeah. the that's the world that we're trying to build. It's like but attendance then trophies, isn't it? Give everyone a trophy yeah. for attending. But when something bad happens, that's when it that trauma levels yeah. a lot higher because they didn't expect it to come. Uh, well, I went to the, my eldest lad, I went to his sports day and I was like, I was, I was like, go on, go on, you're going to win. Yeah. And then his mum went, oh, you can't win. It, like everyone's equal. You're no, not allowed to win. cheer. <laughs> that's some bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that's why everyone's like, you know, you need that. You know, like if, if I see someone better than me at school then I'm like, right, I need to work towards that. If everyone's equal, I've got nothing to work towards. Yeah. You, yeah. Everyone, it's our, it's our nature. It's a competitive nature, isn't it? Yeah. You know, everyone's equal. Fuck that. I want to be better than loads of people. Yeah, we're all, we're all equal. Just some people are more equal than others. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And the problem is in these modern times, is you know what you know what I'd like sort everything out. And this is going to sound bad, and I'm not advocating this in in any any way, shape, or form. But you, are. But you know what? I'd just sort all these these problems out is just a war. You know, like if if you were at war, imagine like World yeah, War like Two, your fucking yeah. house is getting bombed, yeah. and you're not like. Oh God, me! You know, I feel a bit stressed at school. This homework is really getting me down. And that. perspective, you're like yeah. fucking out. Unity as well, you know, like as a nation. Like, yeah. look, look at when the wars were on. We were arguing about who had the best hat. 
We're, you know, like yeah. we're together. No one gives a fuck how many followers you got on Instagram because your <laughs> fucking house is getting bombed. It's like it's true. It's, it's that perspective. It's, yeah. it's been able to say and, and, that's how. But that's what that's what our parents and grandparents have known in yeah. their lifetime. But I think. Known. But like you know, like my, my grandparents are all dead now, and you know, like you know, when I have grandkids. What are they gonna know? They're yeah, gonna be like, weird. "Oh, this is this is life." You know, it's it's really tough. I can't, you know, really tough. I can't, I can't afford that Gucci Gucci hat, so <laughs> I'm gonna have to wait for three months. Oh God, it's like, yeah, I think the. But we, we are. I mean, that's what's coming next. The, I, I don't, I'm not saying a war is gonna come next, but the the collapse of the economy is gonna be next, oh, and yeah. everyone's gonna lose. Well, everyone, yeah. everyone, everything's on finance. Everything's if everyone's on up. finance, where's the money? Yeah, <laughs> but that's when we're gonna see the struggle, and that's where the, uh, like, the depression and the the alarm bells are going to start ringing for people is when well, when people do lose everything because people start losing jobs there's no money you can't get a mortgage like that's when that's the next thing that's got that's got to come because yeah. everything's ticked up I just, I just you know like i look at like my lad now and i'm i'm bringing him up the way that i was brought up i don't understand how like i've seen um there was a woman i think she must have been 40 or 50 years old on tv raging about how Winston Churchill was a racist and his statues need to be taken down. As a woman, she's been through a harder time than I've been through. How can she even say that? So she's bringing up children to believe that that's right. You know, times were different then. Winston Churchill probably wasn't, well, he definitely was a racist, but diff times were different. Yeah. You know, it wasn't racism then. It was something different. Like yeah. now everything's racist. The, the, this this mic stand's black. That's racist. Yeah. The, there's no white stands here. Racist. No, you're right. I mean, that's where like um, like Kevin Hart, he um, he wasn't allowed to uh, host the Oscars. I think it was the Oscars or one of the m big awards because he made like a, yeah, it was quite a, recently. Wasn't yeah, it? he made like a, a, a it wasn't racist. It were a homosexual joke, I believe. I, I don't know the fact. Like fucking ten years ago, uh. and somebody had dug up his Twitter. But this is this is something that's going to be apparent in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. somebody's going to dig up your Twitter, your Twitter, my Twitter from. Yeah you know, retrospectively, this conversation is a, probably a prime example. This conversation will be out there in 10 years' time and they'll go, yeah, Josh was a bit of a fucking dickhead, wasn't he? Remember when he said this? Yeah, he was. But at the, t at the time, we're talking about that. Yeah. And again, they, he brought up some, he, he made a homophobic joke 10 years ago and then went, yeah, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Times were different. It was probably a joke. Let's just leave it there. Yeah. But no, they kept digging it up, digging it up, digging it up. And that's that's the world that we're going to end up living in. See, my problem with things like that is, if it's a joke, it's not homophobic because it's a joke. People get like people take words literally. I've I was on about it with with Jack not long ago, and I was saying like racism. If if I say something to you in an aggressive manner, I am being racist. If I say something to you in a joking manner, I don't really I don't see that as racist. I'm not being racist. I'm, I've got nothing against you, yeah. you know. But then, so I could say something to you and then someone else could be offended by that, which then makes it racist. But yeah, how, yeah. It, how are we being racist if we don't see it as racist? Surely this guy's the racist one because he sees it as racist. If you ignore everything and make it nothing about racist and just make it a word, it's not racist, just a word. Yeah. You just, you bring, you sort of bring in light to something which makes no sense. Everything's just a word. It's just something, you know, think about times when we didn't speak, when we just used pointing and stuff. What, it was racist. Still then. do that in Doncaster. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. Grunts and clicks. Yeah. I think we should go back to that. It's easier. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's what we you assume. We'll have to do that because you can't, you can't you say a girl is pretty because yeah. that's sexist. You can't you, do it. You anything. can't call her a girl, mate. She's a, <laughs> I don't even know what she is. Again, gender like, fluid. That's a, that is another prime example. Like what it's a, it's going to get fucking tougher. It's a tough time we're living now because you can't, 
like in the council, there can't be gender specific when writing emails. So you can't assume. Na- oh, now you can't say sir or madam. Sir or, yeah. Jesus. So what do you say? Of, you can still kind of military, can't you? You know. Can you can you even refer to people as humans now? <laughs> or are, are we? I I don't feel like I'm human. I feel like I'm maybe. But you, li- you can lizard. now. I'm like a giant lizard. <laughs> you, 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 you can refer to me as Liz. <laughs> Lizzy lizard. No, but you can identify as that now. Like, yeah, you can identify the, as anything. The, like the an problem is, object. yeah, wh- wh- where do you draw the line? There has to be a line. And, you know. But who's, who draws the line? Who's, who's that's important why they enough? need to just now just be like, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, they're not, they're not though. Like, the, some of the stuff you can understand some sort of people are just fucked in the head you know like years ago they'd have been like get to that mental hostel you know oh, I'm, I'm fucking, i ain't got a gender today you know i'm gender right if you identify as a woman stay the fuck as a woman if you identify as a man stay the fuck as a man even if you're a man who wants to identify as a woman stay the fuck as a woman don't identify as neutral where one day you're a man one day you're a woman get out of my fucking face. i think it I, I think it's okay like it starts with educate like in the education system and obviously we're very PC crave now as yeah. a country and it's getting more PC crave, but that's like fear that's put into the teachers to, because they didn't want to be politically yeah. correct. So they're getting told what needs to be done. And I mean, like it's one of them, isn't it? Like people can identify as whatever they want, yeah. but can we set some, can we set some guidelines, you know? Yeah. I think, I, I think well, especially with kids not, like at school, I, I couldn't yeah. imagine my, my, my little boy's four next week. I can't imagine sending him to school and being, I mean, like my little boy doesn't know anything, you know. I have to teach him everything about mm-hmm. himself. So am I gonna say, listen, you know, you don't have to be a boy or a girl. You can be whatever you want. And then that's so confusing yeah, for a child. Have you, yeah, but have you, have for you a watched small child? Th- this is the reference I use. So have you watched Lou Through where he, he um, where the, he did a Lou Through documentary and it was documenting children that didn't know what gender they were. So this, they went on to like. Um, hormone treatment from like a really young age, so they didn't actually form fully into whichever gender specific the path that they yeah. were going on yeah so male they never became a, like fully a man or female a ch- as far as i'm aware until i was told wrong a child can't um like give evidence in court because they're not seen as like a yeah, yeah a mature that, brain yeah 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 so how can a child choose choose a gender before they've become of a mature age well this this is the way i see it. you know like i went to school with people with lads who said they were straight and yeah. turns out they're not straight. You know, the gay, that's, that's fair enough, but they didn't decide that to laughter. You know, it's going to sound weird, but I could probably say I'm gay. And then once I've got a man there with his shape out and he wants to put it up my bum. <laughs> and then I'm like, Jesus, I don't want that. Yeah, you yeah. know, like what happens if you, so you're a man and then you're like, right, chop my dick off. I want to be a girl. Yeah. Cause you're, 12 and then you hit 16 and you're like jesus i don't like men putting the dicks in my where my dick was yeah. i want my dick back you can't get your dick back mate so they need to be able to form like yeah i think you're right i think i think that like i've grown up like i ain't got kids so like yeah. I, would, I would people choose to parent that's their thing but i think bringing a child up and saying look you choose who you want to fall like if, if yeah. that's if, if whatever your preference is but I, I think that there's no there's no harm in being specific of not being specific at a young age and letting them make their own decision. Mm. I think that'll make a better world. Because I think like pe- people that have been sort of homosexual, uh, ho- homophobic, that's just like, we just, we've got enough shit on this plate rather than people yeah, worried yeah. about which gender they fancy because yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it doesn't fucking matter, does it? Like we've got bigger shit, bigger fish to fry. So I think from a young age, that that's something that, that 
from an educate educating point you don't have to be specific but yeah. then i know of because my, my missus is a primary school teacher that when they've gone on to a sort of placements into to like a pgl or whatever and there's been a gender gender neutral um what would you call them like a guardian like what, what people at work are like pgl yeah yeah but then the kids are so confused because yeah. they don't know is it a man or a woman but they used to call in Mrs. Soans, you know, Mrs. Yeah. Goodgen, and then Mr. Yeah, Smith. You put, you're putting that doubt in the mind. Yeah, so you? then and they're saying, what's his name or what's her name? And they're going, uh, well, then the neither. So I, don't, I fucking don't know. Uh, it's, but they are. But yeah, it's, look down your trousers. It's tough. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's a tough for us and we're fucking adults. Imagine yeah. what it's like for a kid. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, confusing that. times, isn't it? I think. Yeah. I mean, kids are just, it's like, I look at my little boy, just an innocent little boy. It's like, how can you just do this? Well, the, it's, you know, like a, a kid, say if you're religious, your kid grows up being religious, it follows what you follow, don't you? So if you start instilling all that sort of doubt and things into its mind, it's, it's not good for a child. That, that's why they end up depressed because they're like, I, I don't even know what gender I am today. Yeah. <laughs> like, fucking hell. Yeah, you're right. You, you follow your parents and what... what yeah. That's so why I'm angry. bringing my lad up. Like I'm bringing him up. If he decides when he's older, he wants to be gay. If you get to that age and you want to be gay, you'll be gay. Yeah. If you want to be a woman, be a woman. But until you are old enough, and I think you're old enough to decide for yourself, you're a little boy, and you're going to be an aging little boy, and that that's it. You yeah. know, I'm not. I, I aren't going to like be force it on him. You are a boy. You yeah. know, I, I just as I grew up, like my mum want like you're a boy. It's just natural, you know, you just treat him as you treat a boy. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that you go back to basics of genetics. That's my argument, like genetically. Yeah, yeah. What, that, that's what, it. You know, what, what were you born as you know, initially? You can, you can cut your dick off and stuff, but I think when you look into your chromosomes, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's the building blocks of life. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's diseases and stuff where that gets kind of mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's this is a... We've gone yeah. down a fucking We've rabbit gone hole. A, we need to get out of this fucking <laughs> rabbit hole because <laughs> there's gonna be people there's gonna be people like slagging us off like these these motherfuckers they hate yeah. they hate us. I'm pretty sure we've none of us have incriminated ourselves. We've voiced no, the, no, our no, own. No. I think yeah. it's been pretty Listen, fair. Listen, you can if you're listening, folks, you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. If you're under the age of eighteen, I advise you not to chop your dick off. <laughs> just wait. That's just, just my wait. advice. So you've had a dick in your ass, just wait. <laughs> Right, so yeah. uh, should we move swiftly on? Yeah. Uh, I think we'll probably edit this part out. If, uh, oh, I'm glad you can. Yeah. If you're listening to that, it's uh, made the cut. <laughs> and you'll see us all in jail. Uh, anyway, um, so obviously you left the uh, army. Most recently, we'll go back to the famous thumb. Yeah, can you can you elaborate on the, uh, the famous thumb? I, I watched a YouTube video once and seen someone making a knife so then i decided to make a knife myself yeah and film it and because i wasn't very confident in front of the camera every time i finished one part of it i put my thumb up <laughs> so like you could watch like one of my older vi like older videos i probably put my thumb up about 20 or 30 times like I've, I've had people like comment on it saying why do you keep putting your thumb up it's pissing me off <laughs> just stop stop with the thumbs up so like that became sort of my thing my more recent videos i talk and I'm a bit more. I know, yeah. I, I was camp. surprised actually to see your re recent videos and you've actually your faces and stuff. I'm like, shit. I thought I thought it were actually better that your face never got seen. <laughs> you like a stick? Yeah, you like, like a stick on top of you. Yeah. 
Who is this did, guy? Oh, you should have just had a mask on at least. And like <laughs> yeah. a voice changer. That would have been even funnier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Been just, a balacl- just a balaclava and a pair of shades. I just felt like to evolve my video. Like I remember I went to the uh, Maker Central thing where there's loads of other people who do YouTube videos. And I remember talking to all them and everyone was just like, your videos would be so... Because like, they met me as a person and said, your video would be so much better if you just you on your video. So like all my videos now are just sort of just me being a tit. And then making some as a tit, making a knife and being a tit. And oh, it sort of like boomed. Like I think I had 40,000 subscribers and then I changed my, the way my videos are. And now I've, I've, I'm at 100,000 100, I broke the other week and now 107,000 I've got now. Can I just say that you're actually my hero? Because like you, you, the fact that you've managed to make a living and, and get a, to be a YouTuber of over 100,000 <laughs> subscribers, that's like the fucking dream. Is and that I, why I got that blowjob before? Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell it about ready in that part. It's going to be a short episode of this one, isn't it? Jesus. But, oh, my name's on it, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking amazing that you've managed to do that. But you've managed to pick a niche in the market, run with it. And but that's just by accident, yeah? You just literally start doing that and then... Yeah. I never sort of really saw it as going anywhere. I've sort of buzzed off the fact that it's grown and then just recently it's just... Yeah. Like, I had one, I did the axe video where I uh, put a bike chain on uh, on the handle and that that's like two and a half million views. I'm sure I saw a video over there, I think it was Unilad, it had 4.4 million views. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the Unilad, they, they, uh, they've contracted some of my videos out and, yeah, I've got... Unilad shared a lot of my older videos and I'd say probably it's probably about 18 million views on all of the videos that I've shared. I've had millions there. But like to get it onto your channel brings a bit more notoriety because it's sort of like the, the, the notoriety goes to Unilad yeah. rather than to me. You get your like little on, credit in corner. Yeah. yeah. Like when it's on my channel, it sort of comes to me like about two and a half million on one and then one's sort of nearing a million now, which is, that's why the channel's boom because obviously I've got more traffic coming my way. That's so, fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. So what's the plan with that? Are you just going to keep making weapons as you, as you see fit? Or is, is there like an end game? Is there like some, something you want to do with that? Or yeah, just happy just making? Well, I, I'm like, I'm sort of getting to the stage now where I have like, I have patrons and they put money towards helping my videos get better. So I can put more money into my videos, making my videos better, upgrade my equipment. Um, like I've got a new forge, which means I can make bigger things. A sword, which everyone's been asking me for for ages, but I can't, I can't make one in. So I've upgraded everything's, and well, I need to upgrade my forge. I've got everything there. I just need to do it. I'm just a lazy bastard. I've had it for ages. <laughs> so then I can do a sword, and then just make bigger and better things. I don't, I don't know. I'd like to hit a million subscribers one day. <laughs> it's like, but it's exponential growth on YouTube, isn't it? Like you, you get one that takes a hit, and then the other one takes a hit, and then people start rewatching your older videos. Yeah, so yeah. your ad revenue increases it month on month, and yeah. obviously you get patrons. That's fucking. It's. I'm in awe because like I've tr- I've I've tried to do the YouTube thing. For, well, I've been doing it for fucking a few years now, but I've successfully created a weekly vlog for my old company. Yeah. And like we were getting, you know, like we got three quarters of a million views on one video. It got shared by BBC and it got like three point eight million views. Yeah. So I've seen a glimpse, but then that were on their channel, so I've had to fucking start again because obviously yeah. I left that. And like it's it's such a tough thing to break, but when you yeah. break it, it's yeah. So you know, like I've. I, like I've been around, there's lots of channels who started when I started or after I started. And I've seen uh, there's a bloke called Blackbeard Projects. He started, I think, just before me. And like he's 
he's broken a million subscribers. Like he just he just had doing video- the same thing, making yeah, weapons. It, it, well, and stuff it, like that. Yeah, he's like like my channel's sort of not just one niche. I sort of try and put everything up if I can. And his is like that. But he had one video did mint. Next one, yeah. Like, I think one video, sixteen million. Next video, twelve million. Next video, eight million. Next video, sixteen million. And then that's it. His, his channel just like exploded. Yeah. And there's loads of other channels like that who, who I know and speak to who've, you know, the boom. But then there's other channels who just they just haven't hit that. It's that consistency, and the, the audience get used to the the person yeah. obviously that's there. Like so that the, that vlog that I were making, like you can go on that channel now. And you can literally added twenty two episodes for him, mm. and on the twenty you can see from twenty two it's at like twenty thousand views and ep- roughly in twenty thousand views an episode. And then I left. They tried to take it over themselves. It was like two hundred views. Yeah, so yeah. the audience is so loyal to yeah, the person. Yeah. Well, you see, you see people people trying people build a channel up to try and sell it, and yeah. it don't work. No. You know, like it's you can't. It's not something you can just walk into. You know, it's like Top Gear. You know, all the presenters leave Top Gear. Top Gear is not Top Gear. Yeah, yeah people want to see you and your thumb. Just people yeah. want to see this again. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I suppose that's that's the I've I've not seen your channel yet. Like this for a last minute. Oh yeah, sort cheers, of, yeah. yeah, yeah shit. No, what it's true though. You've got to lie. What time? Is it? <laughs> Quarter to five. He messaged me at like twelve o'clock saying, "Right, we've got we've got a podcast at three. I'm like, "All oh, right, okay." We've got 136 video feeds. Yeah. What? <laughs> but have you started vlogging and that now then, or is yeah. it just is it just um, the manufacturing videos that you? Yeah, I'm sort of because the subscribers that I have, uh, like I've had loads of people say, "Yeah, do vlogs and that," but the. I think it works for bigger channels. Like if I was say a million subscribers and then I do a vlog in between a build, people would like that because people you've got more people interested. But I don't think it'd be that popular. Like some of my videos, I've got different because my channels, I try to cater for everything. Yeah. So I do different videos. So some some of my subscribers will watch one video, but not like if I do a restoration, I've got a load of restoration fans who uh, watch that. Yeah, yeah. But then if I make a knife, they will the you know the restoration guys might just not watch that so it's a bit it's a bit weird but if i build up i'd probably put it on there but i'm trying to at the moment i'm in the process of building up my instagram and, and i'm gonna start putting things on there like Plug it, what's it called what's uh, your instagram just dies in every film right At dies in every film At dies in every film <laughs> yeah so like on there i'm trying to build that up so that is my you know i can send people from there like if you want to see behind the scenes if you want to see my yeah. daily life so i put stuff on there like just winding my missus up or my little lads being being a twat and i just put that on there so people you know it yeah. sort of gives you that uh repertoire with with your your fans and your subscribers yeah, yeah. uh brings like brings you a bit closer but i'd sort of see because i've got um i think i've i've got three thousand followers on instagram but my, I do have a Facebook page, and that's that's got like thirteen thousand. But it's not, you don't have that. I don't know Instagram. You sort of can get that, you know, it's thing with everyone. Yeah, Facebook's I mean, not like we do digital marketing, so we like we've got to try and coach businesses on that that thing. What, what which audience have you got on what platform? And this, in fact, the the podcast a prime example. There's five hundred. It's only going fucking what three four weeks. It's got five hundred followers on Facebook, and it's got. 200 followers on instagram but you get we get much more traction on facebook yeah. than we do on instagram so like we need to structure the content on which platform we put it on mm. so obviously long form content is youtube so you can watch this whole podcast vlogs and whatnot they'll be more successful on facebook and it's more shareable content yeah and then instagram it's nice to look at pictures yeah. and nice nice little yeah, references short, short yeah, little video yeah. so yours I, I assume your videos would be like the the time lapses, you know, the sped up ones would look really good on I, Instagram. I just put a lot like snippets. So like I put one of me testing a knife out or yeah. testing an axe out and I put that on there. But yeah, I, I just find that when I put, so 
my Instagram automatically shares to my Facebook anyway, yeah. but I always get more on, even though I've got that much more followers on Facebook, I get more on, on my Instagram. Yeah. But my, my Instagram's relatively new. I got told ages ago, but I started a Facebook page so much easier. Like I'm, I'm new to Instagram anyway. And, and someone said, oh, you should do an Instagram. There's like a big following on Instagram. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I wish I had a start. I think if I'd have started sooner, I'd have had a bigger following on Instagram because all those from that would have, I could have directed to Instagram rather than to Facebook. Do you reinvest any of your ad revenue into target advertising on Facebook to increase your following on Instagram? See, this is like a rabbit hole because I looked into it and I'd put up one test uh, ad on, I think possibly the sort of linked out there. I put one test ad on whatever yeah. and it ran on both, both the platforms and I got like, it was hardly anything back for the value for money. And then I looked into it more and they say like, if you pay to advertise on those platforms, they will, you know, like your channel will play the algorithm as well because they know you're going to pay to put your channel in better light. So I've sort of been... Is this for Instagram? You talking uh, about off YouTube? I've, uh, Instagram, yeah. Right. Yeah, because Instagram, like the rule of thumb is they say that you can get 10,000, you can pay for 10,000 followers yeah. in 60 days, a rough ad spend of £10 per day. Mm. So you're looking at 600 quid, I'll get you 10,000 followers. Because you're so niche, it should be less than that. Yeah. to run target but you've got to run the target ads from facebook ads manager uh, rather than just pressing the boost button this is what where all businesses fail because they just press the boost button and it goes yeah it's been seen by sixty thousand people but no one actually gives a fuck and it's yeah, been wasted yeah. left yeah. right and center yeah they just put it everywhere but if you go into the ads manager you can specifically choose where you're advertising so the most successful way to increase an instagram following is if you run targeted ads in the stories section and uh, specifically only the stories nowhere else yeah and that's how you'll increase your following. So you you, you basically pre-buy the swipe up feature. Yeah. So you'd put some of your content in a story and say, swipe up to visit my profile. They'd go there, look at all your shit and go, boom, follow. Yeah, yeah. So that's how you do the targeted ads for Instagram. That's what I'm aiming for. Like obviously yeah. 10,000. I need that swipe up so yeah. I can put my video on there. Because that's what we up. that's what we do for businesses as well. Because mm. like, businesses in the arts and crafts industry are visual like we do media. You need the 10,000 to drive traffic, but that's really that driving that traffic is either to go to YouTube because you've got an ad revenue there or to your website to buy some shit like merchandise. Yeah. Um, so you need that swipe up feature. Yeah. But. yeah it's, it's a handy thing. Like I know, I know a few people who've got it um, and a few people have actually said to me, just buy you Like you, I think you can, can you go on, you can go on something and buy just, and it, it but it's dead. Like yeah, it, that'll fuck it you. Kill, that, yeah, it kills the algorithm for your yeah, actual Instagram. Yeah, because that'll absolutely fuck your Instagram. Even you, like dead followers on your Instagram now, they can kill it. Yeah, yeah. You, need, you need likes to. But I, that's why, like now, I've started posting my putting my post onto my stuff. I always get like I'll probably get like five hundred people watch my stories, and then the most I get on. Well, I've, I've had five hundred people like my posts, but you know, like that's not every single post. So I try and put my post into my story for people to. Sort of, yeah. Just keeps everyone new post with an emoji of it. Yeah. Go check it out. <laughs> it's a picture of him naked, just <laughs> blurred out penis. The, I, I think in a few of my videos, I've, I've forged in my pants, which did quite well for some people. I've got, you know, like I've got quite a big gay following on on YouTube. Yeah. I can see why. Yeah, <laughs> one of the funniest things about on his channel, if you look at any of his videos, the funniest thing is just the hater comments. I think I think I watch most of his videos. <laughs> just for the hater comments at the bottom <laughs> like there's a, the recent one he, re, he restored a, is it a world war two or yeah, world, world, war, world war two helmet, helmet yeah. yeah so he gets that he gets his whole rusty helmet and he like 
you know, polishes it up. Polishes his helmet. Poli- yeah, sheep. there's a good video of him polishing his helmet. <laughs> and, it, you know, polishes it up and, and paints it and, like, you know, makes it all new and everyone's just like, you fucking ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Should have left it That's how it was. Fucking, You've ruined history. Yeah, yeah you fucking... You waste of space. Yeah, <laughs> some of the comments are bad. So I try and post them into my story on my Instagram. Like every, everyone goes off it. Everyone loves it because they're just like, I've never seen anyone just put like post the tr- people ignore. It. Like I know so many channels are just like, oh, if I get a troll, I ignore him. But I'm like, why? You know, the more you talk to the troll and they talk to you, that's bringing it's bringing more to your channel. You know, yeah. it puts the algorithm up. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, game, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. Like, you're gonna hurt my feelings with words. Oh god! Even if I ruin history, do you think I care? Yeah, yeah. I bothered. Perspective, yeah. you've been. <laughs> He did it with a. I had a World War One um, bayonet. It was my great granddad's or whatever, and it was snapped. And it was all rusting. It was snapped in half. I think. I think my granddad threw it at someone once, <laughs> and it hit the floor and snapped. So I said to Anna, you know, can you fix it up? So he, you know, he fixed it together, and he made it looks like brand new now. But when I posted that same thing, people were like, oh, he's fucking ruined it. He should have left it out of the wall. I'm like, I just wanted a fucking bayonet. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to sell it. I don't want to give it to a museum. Yeah, exactly, I just want yeah. a fucking working bayonet in my house. That's all I want. But pe- people who sake. like people who watch that video, like Unilad ones were the best. Like the comments on Unilads were like the best ones. There's so much hate. And I like it. Like I thrive out of it. I just watch it. Someone someone called me a hipster. And I was like, surely a guy who ruins a helmet is not a hipster. Like a hipster's going to save that helmet. But they don't understand like that helmet. It was a civilian issue helmet or civil defense in England, like in the country. And there were, there were, like they had billions of them. Not everyone got to use one and they're thrown away by the dozens. I bought that cheap and I sold it for more, putting more value on it, even though people say I devalued it. <laughs> and, you know, like I didn't ruin it because it was going to go in the bin. The guy was like, I was selling it. If no one had bought it, he said, I'd thrown it away. So I bought it. Yeah, you're just restoring it, you yeah. know. There's the thing is, I think like the, the key is that you've got haters, so you know you've made it. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the. Well, all, all my popular videos, I get so much hate on it. I love it. That's like, fucking class. I've, I've made a, the skeleton knife, and everyone's like, "That's a shit knife." <laughs> Cheers, mate. Have you ever made a knife in your life? No. How do you know it's a shit knife? That knife, shit. <laughs> Good. Yeah, like good you're not God. a proper knife maker. You, you didn't forge the metal yeah. yourself. I watched you, forging fire the other day, and they forged the knife. You cut that one out. It's not real. <laughs> Like it's fucking metal. It's a knife. Just shut the fuck up. I like making fucking knives. Leave me alone. Don't fucking watch it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I put to one of the guys the other day. He put like that was the it was the fucking worst whatever minutes of my life. And I think I put a Deadpool mask on and I was sweeping up my shit. And he was like, "And what's with the Deadpool shit? It's fucking shit. Why do you do that stupid shit?" And I was like, "Well, thanks for watching anyway." Yeah. <laughs> I said, "You still watched it? Like, why? Why do I care?" Yeah, like if you're watching a knife making video and after like a minute you're like, "Oh, this is not for me." You just turn it off. Yeah. People seem to the watch trolls, it. you know, like they're there to try and put people down. They, you know, they don't have a clue really. To get some traction over to their channel, that's what it'll be. The motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. you know, funnily enough, every single one who's ever tried to put my channel down, I go, I always click on them. There's never anything behind. It's just like so they don't even have like a picture. It's just like some fucking letter. Yeah. Maybe the same guy. <laughs> it's probably you. It could be <laughs> two thousand, two thousand. Listen, I'm bored. I just that's what I do. <laughs> I actually wouldn't be surprised if you did that. <laughs> Actually, it upsets me when I reply to them and they don't reply back because I just just want, like, I I like getting a rise out of them, you know. They'll start by trying to rise out of me and then I say stuff back to them and then they come back and they're they're full of hell because I I haven't reacted how they want me to react. Uh, It's like like weird people who message me. I've posted a few online. (laughs) (laughs) I always get these weird messages like, 
you know, just pops up like, hi. <laughs> Can I wax you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy wanted to wax me. One guy wanted my socks. One guy wanted me to kick him in his balls. I'll pay you. Come and kick me in my balls. How much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, <How's> <laughs> I've had a few. I've had a few recently, and I, and I try and like converse. Or I'm like, I, I just start talking. To the, you know, ask me how my day is. Oh, you know, my day's great. Or where where you from? I don't. Yeah. You know, I usually tell them I'm from the Shetlands or some we, some weird yeah, obscure, obscure place. place. And then it just carries on. But the, the recent ones I've had, they just, they've not played ball. The, the guy, the guy who oh, wanted to wax, one, yeah, the guy who wanted to wax me. I'm like, yeah, you can wax me, but I want to see what your hands look like. I'm like, <laughs> send, send me a photo. I just wanted a photo of the guy's hands because it's just funny, isn't it? I'm like, just send me a photo of your hands. And he's like, no, that's weird. I'm like, <laughs> you, fucking, you don't know me. You're messaging me asking to wax my whole body. I said, I just want a fucking picture of your hands. And he's like, no, no, I'll oh, fuck off then. Well, he's been on to a few. He's been on to a few people at the gym. Oh yeah, I we do have his name now though. So uh, what's his name? Call him out. Come on. Yeah, I need to. I need get to. your phone out. Oh, what you God. need to do is, if you're listening, you need to watch. You need to follow Danny Danny yeah. Mitchell MMA on Facebook because yeah. it is the funniest thing. Like how often it happens is that yeah. quite alarming. It, it, it used to happen more before. I used to get these mad messages. Now it's just like I like the ones where they want money. You know, it's yeah. like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got you know. I've got this problem. I've got this. I've got this ill, ill grandparent, and I need this money. Can you send? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just send me your bank details. And I like to just. I like to see how far I can take it, and if I can get anything back, like photos, like like like. I always say some stuff like, "Yeah, prove it's you. Send send me a photo, but you need to be eating an apple, so I know it's definitely you." You know, or someone, or write this word on a piece of paper and show it to the camera, and you can. But but just recently they're not playing ball. So if you're a weirdo and you sat at home and you want to <laughs> send me some weird messages, to be fair, you are like a professional troll. You online because like the amount of people that for some reason decide to send you messages and cause shit with you is quite alarming. Yeah. Like you ruined my fucking Sunday night or the last week when that guy wanted to fight you. Like, <laughs> did you see it on his Facebook feed? <laughs> I saw that and I saw it from the beginning and I thought this is gonna go bad. This one. And he attracts him. He's yeah, like, he's just like attracts him, but this center. fucking idiot from Halifax. <laughs> you listening? What's his name? Jackson. <laughs> Lewis Jackson. Lewis Jackson. Please, <laughs> please, Lewis, come on the podcast. Like, I invited him, and then he gave me a load of shit back, and I'm like, oh, come on. But like, yeah, he wanted to fight me. You made so many people's fucking. He's calling him Cuba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. He, he asked me to. He's like. He's like. What 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 was with he put box me big lad? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! I've been called out. Like, yeah, come come down to the gym seven o'clock. We'll fight. Then he started trying to agree some kind of terms. No, 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 no. Let, let's do it on like this show. I'm like, listen, mate. You want to fight? You come to the gym. Yeah, ten G's. He's like, yeah, but we'll we'll get people. He said we'll fight on a show and then people want to watch. I'm like, listen, mate. You bring all your friends. <laughs> bring them all for free. Free for free. Bring them all down. They can all watch. But like, they were fucking what? There must have been five hundred people liked or commented on that fucking post that night, and it yeah, went on man. until early hours. And you, yeah. like, every now and again, you sent me a message on WhatsApp saying, can't believe it's still going on. Then some other message would come up. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. I'm still sat there. We have other cunt in everybody else in Morley, like, just watching this fucking unfold. Like, I, I even made a fucking a fight card, a fight poster, and posted that in. <laughs> like, it was just mental. Your missus, she said, do I need to take out life insurance? Yeah. 
Well, funny, funny shit, but he, ne- he never turned up for the fight, unfortunately. Yeah, so that would have made a good video. Good night for AVT MMA, though, because the fucking gym were packed at seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah, come on, I'm sure take out. I'm gonna just take up jujitsu tonight. Uh, <laughs> there were lots of people just turned up. Yeah, like, why is all these people in the gym? It's like, oh shit, they've come to see me have a fight. <laughs> I need to just do that every week. Like, yeah, I might be having a fight tonight. Everyone, be there. <laughs> Sign up. Members only can watch. Fucking yeah. mental. So what's next for you then? Obviously, grow the channel even further. What? What? How, how do you see the future panning out for you? That's probably the hardest question you've asked me all day. Well, we've been down many rabbit holes. <laughs> I'm seeing if we can drag this out till fucking like three hours. Make it like a Rogan podcast. <laughs> Fuck them guys that are in after Jeez, us. Jesus, you need to smoke some weed, eat, some, <laughs> eat other shit. Um, I don't know, really. I'm, I sort of like... It's like one of the things, if the channel dies now, then it dies, but I'll, I'll keep working on it. If it if it goes further, then it goes further. Yeah. I'm sort of a chilled out guy. Easy going. Yeah, I really are. I love it, man. I think it's <laughs> fucking quality. Well, I think some people just take it too serious. You know, some people are like, oh, my channel's shit. No one gives a fuck. And they're like, I'm, I'm just going to quit. Like, just quit then. Yeah. Just quit. If you don't want to do it, quit. Like, no, I'm, like, I, I've had people, like, say to me recently, like, oh, your channel's got shit since you started fucking doing, talking. And that, that's what he said. He said, your channel's got shit since you started talking. I was like, but I'm enjoying it. Like, before, I, I sort of got to the stage where I was, like, bored of it. Yeah. But now I'm enjoying it because I'm just being a dickhead in it. Like, I can just be a div. Like, I can't be a div in the house because my missus will tell me off. So I just got to be a div in shit. <laughs> and then she sees my videos and tells me off. Well, it's easier because it's already done there. Yeah, yeah. That's quality. <laughs> Oh man, no, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people find you then? Um, if if they want to find you, YouTube, what's your channel again? Just give it another plug. Um, our channel is Dies in Every Film Customs. That's on YouTube. And then on Instagram, at Dies in Every Film. All one word. Perfect. <laughs> Any last words from the man, Danny? Sweet. No, no, it's, it's been good to talk to you and good, like, obviously, you know, there's probably a lot of listeners who've had experience with, like, PTSD and stuff yep. like that, so it's good to see a different side of it and, and how MMA's helping that, so uh, make sure you give uh, give Honours on his channel a, a follow and a subscribe <whistles> and uh, we'll be back soon. Catch you on the next one. Thank you. <laughs>